John chapter 18, starting in verse 15, uh, going through verse 32. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Join with me in prayer. O Lord God, we give thanks to you for the gospel of your Son, which has been brought to us news of salvation at the price of the blood of your own Son. And we pray that you would bless this reading and preaching of your word, that we might be taught by you, and so rest in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. In this passage, we have uh, one account of some of the trials leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus was arrested by officers from the Sanhedrin, from the Jewish authorities, accompanied with soldiers as well. And Jesus had been bound in the garden and brought first to the father-in-law, of Caiaphas, the high priest. The father-in-law's name was Annas, and we get the idea that 
maybe he was still practically the one in charge, even if he didn't hold the office, a very influential man. In fact, there's some debate about when it says the high priest then questioned Jesus. Is it talking about the real high priest or the, or the father-in-law? Because at the end it says that Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, but in any case, you have these two figures and you have the other Jews who are part of the high council, the general assembly, the Sanhedrin of the Jewish people. And they question him. They try to get Jesus to uh, testify against himself. There's nothing really to charge him with, but they know that he needs to die. That's what their conviction is. Um, but they don't have a good reason for it. Well, that's pretty obvious as we go into this passage, that they're grasping for something to stick to him. But while that's going on, not only are his enemies accusing him, wrongly accusing him, mistreating him, but his own disciple. Which disciple? Simon Peter, right? Simon Peter followed Jesus, but then three times he denied being Christ's disciple. He denied knowing his Lord, denied being with his Lord. And so not only is he accused by his enemies, but he is denied by his friend. There's an alternating between the two. Peter denies Jesus the first time. Then it goes to Jesus being brought before the high priest. Then it goes back to Peter being denied, denying Jesus two more times. Then the rooster crowed. And then back to Jesus being delivered over to Pilate. All these things going on at the same time, kind of bracketing each other. As Jesus heads towards the death that was his destiny, that was his, the Father's will, that was what he had said was going to happen. This kind of death. Uh, that all these events were headed towards, uh, the death of a crucifixion, uh, being lifted up unto death. I think we can see several things here. First of all, to beware of temptation, as we see the example of Peter. Secondly, to see how unjustly Jesus was treated, as he was an innocent, righteous man being unjustly accused and then thirdly, to see how these things fulfilled God's plan and purposes. So first, beware of temptation. Peter sinned, and he sinned gravely and dangerously, and in a way that was humiliating. The one who had boasted that I will follow you to the death, I will lay down my life for you, who had rashly taken out his sword to defend Jesus and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, now denying that he ever was with Jesus or his disciple. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. This was a dangerous thing for Peter to do. He should have listened to the warnings and remembered them. We'll find, of course, later that he repented but that, that was nothing that one would want to have to go through. Uh, he wept bitterly. Uh, he is only restored by the grace of God. And he would regret uh, what he had done on this occasion. And is a warning to all believers. Even if you're sure that you're a true believer, you are 
what are the elect to beware of falling prey to such a, uh, a, uh, a fall, a partial fall, but a fall nonetheless. Jesus, sorry, Peter tries to follow Jesus as he had boasted he would do, even though Jesus had warned him, even though Jesus had warned him ahead of time and had given him a way out. Don't take these men, take me. But Peter found an entrance. It says another disciple actually helped let him in. Um, another disciple who was connected with the high priest, so he was already inside, and then he helped Peter to get inside the high priest's house uh, in his courtyard, his, his area. We don't know exactly who this other disciple is for sure. A lot of people have, have believed this to be John, uh, the one who wrote the gospel. At least that would make sense how he knows all these things that took place. Um, we don't know how he would have known the high priest. There's different theories on that. John refers to himself in a similar way later on in the gospel. But uh, all that we know for sure is that it was another disciple of Jesus Christ who had some connection with the high priest. Uh, it explains that how Peter was able to get in in the first place. But Peter was not ready for this trial, and he collapsed at the first sign of danger. Um, first trial, first temptation, when does it happen? It happens as what? Before the rooster crows. Before the what? The rooster crows. Well, all of them happened before the rooster crowed, that's right. In the dark of the night, that very night that Jesus had warned him. But the first temptation comes right as he walks through the door. There was a girl, a servant girl, who was the doorkeeper. And she says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Um, perhaps she knew that this other disciple was Christ's disciple because she says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Um, and he says, I am not. Are you Christ's disciple? Mm -hmm. We should proclaim that, yes, if asked especially, I am Christ's disciple. But Peter, out of the fear of this servant girl and what she might think, what she might do, denied that he was Christ's disciple. And then he goes and joins the servants and officers around their fire, joining with those who had ganged up against Jesus, warming himself, trying to blend in. Now, later on in the Gospel of John, we might mention it, there will be another fire that Jesus and Peter will sit around as they talk about these very events. But on this occasion, they were warming themselves by the fire on that night. And then later on, there's a second test or temptation. Again, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And then a relative of the guy that he cut the ear off. You know the guy he cut the ear off? Malchus. Malchus was his name. Well, he had a relative, and he sees Peter, and he probably recognized Peter. Maybe he was there in the garden. Apparently, he was there in the garden, too. And said, wait, this is the guy I think that, that I think uh, cut Malchus's ear off. So he says, did I not see you in the garden with him, with Jesus? Weren't you just there an hour ago or however long it had been? But Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed, just as Jesus had foretold. So these, these tests, they escalate. The pressure grows. The, the denial grows, grows more and more. He falls further and further. And then the rooster crows 
just like Jesus had said. This is a warning that we do not follow in what Peter did. Do not fear man. Do not turn and tremble at the falling of a leaf. Uh, We ought to be able to stand before kings even. Do not fear man and do not be ashamed of Jesus, even though the world rages and hates him, rages against him, even if his cause is humbled in the eyes of men and despised and rejected. Jesus has more than enough hostility from his enemies. He doesn't need it from his friends. May his disciples not deny him. Confess Christ before men so that he might confess you before his Father who is in heaven. Let us stand by Christ, even as we trust in him to stand by us. Beware also of pride. Peter was confident, but some of the wrong kind of confidence. He was certain that he would never do such a thing and did not heed the warnings that Jesus had given him. He had taken a way that Jesus had not prescribed when he tried to get out by the use of his sword. And so also here, Jesus had warned him, you're going to deny me three times. You are not able to follow me at this point. And yet he tried to follow him and failed. Later on, he would follow him in a different uh, time uh, as a type of crucifixion. I think there's an allusion to at the end of John. He would follow Jesus in time. But this was not the time. But he went ahead anyway. He was proud. Also, do not neglect the means that God has given you. This is related to being proud that Peter neglected the help that God would give him. Jesus says, and this is recorded in Matthew, but Jesus said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew the effect of fear, what it could have upon a person. The flesh is weak, um, but there's help. There are ways to receive strength, to watch and to pray. Jesus watched and prayed in the garden. He used the means that he advised others take, and he stayed firm. But Peter did not. He fell asleep and was not ready in the day of battle, in the day of trial. So watch and pray, be alert, and pray to God that he would give you strength, that he would strengthen your resolve, that he would help you to stand when you are tested. Also beware the effect one sin can have. Once Peter started to deny Jesus, it became easier to deny again to try to fit in, to carry on. It becomes easier the next time to give in. Nips in in the bud. You know how when a flower starts to bud, at first it's just a bud, and you don't see much of a flower. If you cut it off then, uh, it's called nipping it in the bud, getting it right away. But this sin continues to grow. Lies especially tend to grow because you want to maintain the deception that you've already begun. And Peter did that until the rooster interrupted him. And Jesus 
uh, it was a means that Jesus used to call him to repentance. But until then, he kept on going. He kept on going. A thousand people had asked him, are you Christ's disciple? Do you think you would have denied Christ a thousand times? Perhaps. He just seemed to keep doing it as often as people asked him. But also, when you have fallen into sin, heed the call to repentance as Peter heeded the rooster's crow. He listened to it. Now, in the Gospel of John, we're not really told much yet at what Peter did once the rooster crowed. Uh, we're going to come back to Peter later on in the Gospel. We know from the other Gospel accounts that he heard the rooster crow, he saw Jesus look at him, and he wept bitterly and went out, realizing what he had done, beginning his repentance to turn away from the sins that he had committed, turning from them with grief and hatred, The rooster crowed as a call to repentance, a reminder that Jesus had seen this coming, had foretold it, had warned him, and now he had done the thing that he was convinced he would have never done. Are there things that you think that you would never do? Let us take heed lest we fall, to be prepared, and when you sin, to turn quickly as Peter did, or at least to heed the call to repentance. However far you have gone down the path of sin, when you come to your senses, do not go one step further, but turn around with grief and hatred of your sin unto the mercy of God. Peter is both a warning to be prepared for temptation, to pray to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But also he is... uh, something of a comfort to those who are penitent, to those who are sinful, uh, who have sinned and who repent and are turning from it, that they are not beyond the grace of God. And so beware of temptation. Do not deny your Lord Jesus. And prepare ahead of time. Watch and pray. Secondly, see how unjustly Jesus was treated. Jesus was denied by his disciple. Think of what that must have meant to him, that his friend was distancing himself, lying, saying, I was not with this guy, and then wrongly accused by his leaders, uh, earthly, speaking in an earthly manner, by the authorities uh, there among his own people. He was bound as a criminal, although they were still looking for something to charge him with. But there he was, bound as if he was a dangerous criminal. He was questioned about his disciples and his teachings. They were trying to get him to testify against himself, try to make him to trip up, turning him into his own prosecutor. As if Jesus had not spoken openly to the world already, in their synagogues, in their temple, where all the Jews come together. He had not... Uh, been a conspirator behind closed doors, getting a band of disciples ready to, to violently overthrow the authorities. No, he had been public. He had proclaimed broadly. Of course, he did teach privately, but it was the same message that he taught publicly. They knew what he taught. He had already spoken to them quite directly. If he had done or taught anything wrong, they should be able to come up with their own witnesses and to prove it in court rather than simply questioning him again about what he had taught. Then, because he had made this reply, he was struck by one of the officers there. Someone struck him with 
with their hands. Smack! Jesus was bound. He was helpless before them, but he was hit with the hand and rebuked for the way he answered the high priest. It would be especially ironic if this wasn't actually the high priest, if this was Annas instead of Caiaphas. Uh, But in any case, this hitting of Jesus in the courtroom was not orderly, was not just. Jesus was bound. He had said nothing disrespectful or false. He had not been found guilty of anything. He did not deserve to be punished. Now, notice, pause here for a second. Jesus was struck by the hand. Did Jesus ever say something about what to do if you're struck on the cheek? Did Jesus turn the other cheek? Well, yes and no. Uh, It doesn't say that literally he turned his cheek, but he did follow the principle that he was teaching, which is also helpful for us to realize how should we apply what Jesus said. When you're slapped on the cheek, turn also the other cheek. Jesus did not return reviling for reviling. He did not hit back. Of course, he was bound, but he didn't hit back with his words and say, oh, you scum, or, you know, start uh, lashing out at the person. Uh, He did not return evil for evil. He did not seek revenge. So yes, he, uh, in that way, turned the other cheek. But this principle does not mean that you can never reprove unjust treatment in a respectful, clear manner. Jesus, what he said was calm and logical and just. He did not uh, abuse the man, but he showed the fault of the man who struck him. He said, if I said, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. It would be better than hitting me if you show my fault. But if I, what I said is right, why do you strike me? Uh, he, he seeks to show the faults of the person who struck him, uh, but he does not return evil for the evil he received. In fact, Jesus is the model here of one uh, who went and suffered great injustice and yet remained innocent as a dove through it all. Well, then Jesus was brought to the governor's headquarters. The Jews were there, but remember their governor was appointed by the Roman government. The Gentiles uh, had rule over Judea. And their governor, do you remember his name? What's the name of the Roman governor? Any of the children? Yes. We say his name in the creed. Pontius Pilate. Pilate. He was the governor in Judea. And he was probably in Jerusalem, especially for the Passover. It doesn't seem that he was normally there. wasn't the Roman capital of Judea. But he was there because it was the Passover, a time where things could get out of hand, a time where the authorities needed to keep an eye on things. And so he was there in Jerusalem, and they brought Jesus to Pilate. Why did they bring him to Pilate? We'll find out in this passage. Uh, They bring him to Pilate because they want to put him to death. And only the Roman magistrate had the authority to put him to death. If they simply had wanted to flog him, they could have done it themselves. But they would not stop at anything uh, except for the death and execution of Jesus. Now, notice the hypocrisy and the blindness of the Jews who led Jesus there. They didn't go into Pilate's house. Why didn't they go into Pilate's house? Because they didn't want to defile themselves so that they could continue participating in the Passover festival. 
They were so careful that they weren't going to be defiled by anything unclean in the Gentiles person's house. But at the same time, they were defiling themselves by this enormous sin of handing over the Son of God to be killed. They were straining at gnats and swallowing at camels. Now, did the Jews bring any accusation against Jesus? That's what Pilate wonders. What's the accusation? What's the charge? Now, in the next chapter, they will come up with a charge. But here they simply say, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. That's, (laughs) how's that for a response? Well, what do you think? Of course he's done something wrong. We're delivering him over to you. Trust us. He's done something wrong. Well, that's not an accusation. That's not a charge. That's simply a j- accusation that, that, yes, he's done something evil. <laughs> but one thing they were sure of, they were convinced he needed to be put to death. That's why they brought him to Pilate. It was not lawful for them. Pilate says, go and judge him according to your, lo- your law. But they said, well, we can't do the thing we want to do. Only you, Pilate, can put him to death. Jesus would not be killed by random mob violence. He would not be killed like Stephen at the spur of a moment uh, by uh, a band of enraged uh, people. Rather, he would be executed as a criminal. Perhaps this is a way for the Jews also to not earn the displeasure of the crowds, too, although they were stirring up the crowds against Jesus, too. In any case, he would be handed over to the Gentiles for an execution. And this meant that the manner of his death would be in the Roman style. The Jews would normally stone, but the Romans had a method of execution called crucifixion, where they would put the criminal on a wooden cross and nail him there and keep him there until he died. That is how Jesus would die. That's why John says... This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He was destined, he was predestined uh, in the plan of God to die a crucifixion, not any kind of death, but a condemnation by a judge hanged on a tree. Deuteronomy said that the one hanged on the tree was considered cursed, to show that Jesus bore the curse for sin, that Jesus would be lifted up. And that's what in the Gospel of John had been recorded earlier, that back in chapter 12, uh, Jesus had spoken of his death, and John had pointed that out. Let's uh, see if I... Oh, that's why... In John chapter 12, verses 32 through 33, where he said, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He was going to die in such a way that he would be lifted up from the earth. He had used that language earlier in chapter 3, that he would be lifted up like Moses had lifted up a serpent in the wilderness so that all who would believe in him, even as they had looked at that serpent, all who believe in Jesus would not die but would live. Jesus was going to be lifted up and die in such a way. He would be hanged on a tree or on a wooden beam. And this was done by the hands of the Romans. 
So Jesus was innocent. He was a righteous man. He had done nothing wrong. The injustice and mistreatment in his trial points to the fact that he was the spotless lamb, the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. Those who crucified him sinned by doing so. They were killing the son of God, their own savior. And yet the third point that I would like to bring to is that all of this was done to fulfill God's plan and purpose. Though it was their sinful hands that were doing it, though Jesus Christ was righteous, these wicked men unintentionally fulfilled what God had planned for our salvation. That's why I was getting confused with my notes, because I already started getting into the third point, that uh, this was done to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, that he would die this kind of death, that he would be crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, that he would be cursed for us on the tree, uh, that he would be lifted up and so draw all men to himself. The other Gospels record other details of his death that he had foretold, that he would be delivered over by his own people to the Gentiles, and that he would be condemned by the authorities, would be scourged and mocked, and all of these things came to pass, even as he said. Now, Jesus had lived his whole life in expectation of this hour. Uh, he had been born, taken on human flesh uh, to come to this point, to give his life as a ransom for many. Even from the beginning of the Gospel of John, he spoke of the hour, his hour, that had not come, it now had come. He had come to lay down his life for the sheep, for his people, including the disciple who denied him, even Peter. He had become flesh, the word had become flesh, to offer himself as the Lamb of God, a sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. He took on flesh that he might give his flesh for the life of the world, as he had spoken of in chapter 6. He had come down all the way to earth, that he might be lifted up on high on a cross, that he might draw all men to himself. Of course, he did not stop on the cross. He continued to be lifted up even higher, back into heaven, as the resurrected Jesus, who now sits at the Father's right hand. All who believe in him, in Christ crucified, shall not perish forever, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, though it was by the hands of wicked men, it was accordance with what God had predestined would take place, and it was something done for us and for our salvation, that the innocent one would suffer for the sins of many, that we might be forgiven and receive life instead of judgment. So beware of temptation, beware of temptation and pray to God that he deliver you from it, out of its clutches, that we stand by our Savior and do not deny him. Let us behold the sufferings of our God, that we were bought at such a price, that he suffered unjustly in love for us, and see how it fulfilled God's purposes for your salvation. Jesus Christ came to earth for for this very thing. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love with which you have loved us in sending your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus, that we might live and have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, have life everlasting, and to be able to rejoice and serve you in holiness and righteousness without fear all our days. 
We pray that you would strengthen us in this grace, that you would uh, move us by the remembrance of our Lord's suffering and death for our sake, and that we might now live for him who has loved us and gave himself up for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.